Welcome to Fans of the Forge. I'm Chris. To my right, we have... Teresa. To my left, we have... We have Sean. And calling in via Skype, today we have Ethan Kempf. Thank you for joining us, Ethan. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. So for those who may not know, Ethan is the champion of Fortune Fire Season 5, Episode 7, The Carabella. And um, it was a heck of an episode. It was one of the very first episodes that we did when we started doing the podcast. So mm-hmm. before we go any further, we're going to apologize for the comments we may have made about you during that episode, <laughs> calling you a weirdo hippie. We had a lot less knowledge at the time of what was going on in the show. So we filled in more with just more general kind of almost mean comments sometimes. And we've tried, we've completely gone away from that for the most part. So we apologize. I don't think you were offended. You seem to be pretty, um, you took it okay when you messaged me. So, um, (laughs) but I just wanted uh, to, I I appreciate that. Um, For the most part, I just found it amusing. Um, I am most definitely a complete weirdo. Um, I I feel that I'm too violent by nature to be a hippie, but a weirdo, totally. (laughs) Well, hey, that works for us. That's clear. (laughs) Yeah. So let's get right into your episode here, Ethan. Um, First things first, as you may know, we make picks when we do these wrap-ups. And Sean actually picked you to win this one. Yeah, I picked you, man. Sean got a point. Concerning taste, Sean. Thank you very much. Yes. So when you found out that you were going to be on the show, or like I'm sure you had to go through um, you know, the, the regular process of auditioning or, or talking to people there, but when you had the general idea you were going to be on the show, did you do anything specifically to prepare for the competition? Um, I, I did a lot to prepare for the competition. Um, so before, like a month before I went to film, um, I completely stopped working on any, uh, you know, like production knives, no customs, none of that. Um, I, I went through and I watched every episode and I took notes on what people did correctly, incorrectly. And then also, realize that no matter what materials they actually give you, it breaks down to a few basic processes, which is to say like, you know, sand my canister Damascus, normal Damascus, et cetera, et cetera. So I I made a a flow chart of like, say if if they wanted me to make a, a chopping blade and they gave me canister, these are the next 20 steps I have to do. If they want a stabbing knife, these are the next steps I have to do and then tried to plan for pretty much every contingency that I've seen on there. Um, I went to uh, a master smith, another Fortune Fire champion, Nick Marcelja of Red Troll Forge down in uh, Vancouver. And I had him uh, teach me canister Damascus and cable Damascus, and then also kind of up my normal uh, pattern welding game. And then I practiced speed forging. especially like just strange things like, you know, what crowbars and barbed wire, like what have you just practice making that really fast. And then I also uh, timed myself with every aspect of building a knife to more or less the specs that they want. So that way I would know to usually within two or three minutes, exactly how long it would take me to do a given process so I could have better time management. Um, So yeah, I, I prepared Cool, 
cool. Yeah, so that's that's good. Uh, so we've talked to some people that went in with zero planning and just showed up and still won. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting how that works out sometimes. Or have you ever used any material like a chain and sprocket prior to going on the show? Um, it seems like yes, since you did a lot of preparation. Uh, you know, one would think so, but no. That was like the one thing that I was like, oh, surely. <laughs> um yeah, that, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I went there looking for like a, a, just a fun new challenge, and I, I definitely got that. Um, I didn't didn't panic overly much upon seeing it. Just really a lot of cogs started turning. So you and Liam attempted Sandmai, but had some difficulties. Can you talk about that a little bit? Indeed. Um, so the... <clears throat> I had difficulty getting the chain welded together in large part because of the amount of grease in it. Uh, normally, if I have something mm. greasy or like gunky, I'll soak it in some like muriatic acid or gasoline or something for a couple of hours to dissolve all of that. Obviously, I didn't have the opportunity to do that. Unfortunate fire. So as I was drawing it out, um, I. I wanted to use the chain as the sides because it had voids, it had flaws, and I didn't really trust its structural integrity. But I, I ended up completely screwing the pooch on like probably the last foot of weld, and I needed two 18-inch sections. So I just basically cut the most valid section out of that and just did two due to necessity. At one point you had mentioned that you thought the sprocket would be harder or, or hardened better than the chain. Had you done a spark test on the materials uh, while you were in the forge? No. I, I Intense pressure situation, and I neglected to do that. Um, I mean, my basic theory was that it was probably some kind of high chromium steel. So, like, it probably was hardenable for what it was doing, um, which proved to be incorrect, but can't really do much about it. What were you thinking when you saw the ice blocks? <laughs> um, I was really excited. Uh, I, I, you know, I made my knife the best that I possibly could under the circumstances, and I was just excited to see Jay Nielsen go absolutely ham and try to break my knife. <laughs> <laughs> So Ron's blade broke during the ice block chop. And so you and Liam moved on to the final round to make the Carabella. What was that kind of feeling in that moment when you, you I guess, realized that you're moving on? Did you just, I mean, you kind of had to feel bad for Ron, you know, but at the same time, you're, you know you're moving on to the final round. Totally. Um, I... I definitely felt like some sympathy for Ron. Um, I, to be perfectly honest, I kind of expected it. Like, you know, he was next to me and then watching all the difficulties that he was having during the forging and a lot of the delaminations, I didn't expect the test to go tremendously well. Um, also like the, the very first morning, like five thirty in the morning before we went to the studio, we're all, all came outside. And I think like, you know, it, all of us introduced ourselves and I think Liam and I kind of picked each other out as like, you're probably going to end up being my opponent. Oh. No, no offense to Ron and Evan, but I don't know what happened. Well, Evan was really 
cocky on his interview. He said, "Yeah, I got these guys. They, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. They got nothing on me. You know, they showed him like saying that. Right, and they even in the editing for some of the beginning parts, they kind of make it seem like he knows what he's doing more than the rest of you guys. Like right. they kind of like seem to to give him a little boost, but then you know he's the first one out. He was the first one out. He can't <laughs> follow the rules. Like it's it's season five. <laughs> Like, you should know the rules, I would think, a little bit at this point. Like, you Indeed. know, or, I, mean, I don't know if it just slipped his mind, but, you know, he's saying, well, maybe I, I'll i use it in round two. Like, let me use do it then, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do no, it now. It's never worked in the history of Forged and Fire. <laughs> um, at one point, I, I was, a, you know, kind of concerned you know, during the knife building process in round one, and there was like a half an hour to go, and I passed by a spot where he was working, and I saw just a the entire sprocket cut in half with, you know, none of it taken out, and I was kind of like, well, all right, cool, kid. I'm not going to say anything. This is a competition. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a... It's a- you don't want to give a, an unnecessary advantage at that point, but well, I mean, and I was I rewatched the episode today, and you know he wasn't sure what to do with it. I'm thinking, just try to make a guard or something. You know, just you know he was having trouble. He's trying to cut it with a torch. He's having trouble, but like I'm just like, dude, like you know, um, I don't know if it was Evan that someone had the angle grinder was like going at the sprocket and like finally cut it in half. Was it you? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, like, I'm just like, all right, well, use the power tools that are around. Like, just do something. Like, just get a piece of metal on there, right? Don't chance it. But, you know, that's just me thinking outside. I'm not competing at the time. So, I know things change when you're in the forge at that moment. But don't don't leave it to chance, you know? It's, yeah. No. Yeah, it's, it's definitely easy to have things slip your mind in there. It's... And I mean, probably 125 degrees, just ambient temperature, hotter near the forges. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this from other people, but like in addition to the there's like probably 30 crew members in there and everybody's staring at you. It's really odd, especially, I think, to people who spend most of their time alone in like a garage or a workshop. It's a little little disconcerting. (laughs) Yeah, that's different. So. You moved on to the final round, and it goes to your home forge, and you have no power tools. It's all going to be done by hand. And um, we had one note that you blew fireballs, praying to the fire god to bless your work. I may have made some of that up as I was re-listening to my own um, (laughs) recap of what we did there. So what was the the fireball about? Those are entirely accurate. Like, I, I did actually do both of those things. <laughs> oh, great. So I didn't make <laughs> yeah. it up. So um, that being said, um, when you were working at the Home Forge for those five days, there was very little footage of it. So typically, we've come to find out that when they don't show a lot of footage, it means there probably wasn't any issues. But... That's what I'm going to ask you now. Were there any uh, major issues that you had during those five days that just didn't get, make make it into the show? Um, honestly, no. Um, it went really smoothly in large part. So I, I, a lot of it were were processes I'd never tried before. Like you know, I've, I've never forged an integral eagle car eagle claw guard 
Um, I've never made a thumb ring. I've never done a fuller or a blade that length. So probably 30% of my time that they didn't show was me taking similarly sized pieces of metal and running a couple of tests on it to see like how I should be doing that process. And then once I had that figured out, actually doing it on my sword. So, um, yeah, no, it, uh, it went pretty smoothly overall. The one thing, um, is that my, my dog was robbed. It was terrible. I did a test and she gave me a high five and it was glorious. And for some reason that did not make it into the final cut. Oh. So, <laughs> I thought you were saying that someone stole your dog. Yeah, I just thought like, what? Your dog was robbed. <laughs> I was wondering what your dog had. Oh, you have been robbed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Koo. Um, yeah. <laughs> when did you find out about Liam practically burning down his whole shop? Hmm. Um, I think I, I found out from him the day after. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think he made a post on Instagram or something regarding it, but the, the production crew didn't say anything. The guys on my end didn't really even know. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, in the kill test, and I don't know if this made any sense. So, in our video online, someone said it, they stopped watching the show after that they saw the tests. Like they, oh, but we didn't know what test. That? Yeah, someone commented they stopped watching the show after the test, but they didn't say if it was this test or the ice block test. It made no sense because oh. there were those normal tests. But anyway, so it was just like a just a boar slice, mm-hmm. right? And poor Liam, his blade broke. Yours performed well in a kill test. You won. So what did you end up doing with the money? So I bought um, something I have named Old Crushy, which is a 25-ton hydraulic forging press. Very nice. It has absolutely changed my life. (laughs) Like after uh, I've made 320 layer Damascus with a sledgehammer before (laughs) and uh, yeah, no, never again. I can save, save my rotator cuff for (laughs) years now. Um, So yeah, it's, I mean, I I can do things with this press in seven seconds. It would take me like five hours to do by hand. It's just night and day for efficiency. Awesome. (laughs) So that was it for our questions in regards to the apps, actual episode here. Um, but I do have those photos that you sent over, and I had put together a few questions about those. Um, in one of the photos that you sent, um, there was a blade that had rolling waves Ooh, on it. Cool. It's really neat design. So. How do you go about that process of putting that design on a blade like that? Um, so that is acid etching. Um, it is, it's dead simple. I don't know why I didn't try it like two years ago or something, but essentially you just get the blade uh, finely polished up to at least like 800 grit or so and then clean it off with acetone and then you use nail polish um, and just paint whatever design you want on it, let it dry. And then when you acid etch it, the nail polish acts as a resist, so everything not covered with it gets etched. Oh, okay. Awesome. 
yeah that that yeah. one is really sweet and um so when we um first started talking about having you come on for an interview you mentioned that you had some interesting uh usages that these knives were going for now i don't know if that was one of them or not but the next one i'm going to ask we're going to ask you about <laughs> Um, maybe along those lines. So you want to get into this one, honey? What sort of jaw was used for the sheath that has teeth? Oh, uh, so that's an elk jaw. Um, I do, I do a lot of like hiking and practice wilderness survival skills. So I tend to be out in the forest a lot and, uh, somewhat south of where I am, there's like this, this absolutely huge coyote den underneath a very large fallen cedar tree. And it's just kind of a elk graveyard in front of it so i went there my dog started really sketching out so we just kind of grabbed like a couple skulls and some jaws and booked it but that's where that from oh that's sick it's a, <laughs> it's a really it's a really crazy looking uh blade and even the blade itself has such a cool design on it almost it reminds me of like a, the skull of something once the teeth have come out like almost the sockets of the teeth a little bit hmm. there um, and then it, to have it go into a sheath that has the teeth on it. When I first saw that picture, I'm like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> What's happening? This is madness. <laughs> There's a blade. The, the picture is taken, it looks like it's on top of, well, is that supposed to be a fungus sheath or something? Like, what is that? He doesn't know. Um, yeah, so, so the sheath is actually made from two different funguses. Oh. Uh, it was made for, uh, it, there's a famous mycologist who lives in my area. Um, and so I made the sheath out of a, it's called a red belted polypore, which is kind of the black one in the background. And the shiny red piece is a reishi mushroom. And so it's, it, I was just kind of playing around with uh, like artist's conch. And I realized that if you get a large enough one, dry it out and cut it, it works almost like a, like a soft maple. Like it's oh. very, very so yeah, I did that. And then the, the handle on it is fossilized whalebone inlaid with abalone. And then the pattern of the Damascus is a, a play off of raindrop. It, if you look really closely, there's the outline of a mushroom in the Damascus. And then the other side of it has like three more. They're, they're a little bit abstract, but they're there because just because of who the client was. Oh, okay. Very cool. There's a, it's funny when you say a famous mycologist. I only know of one famous mycologist that I've ever heard of named Paul Stamets. It wouldn't be Paul Stamets, would it? It would be Paul Stamets. No yes. kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I really I, I respect the hell out of his work and what he's doing for the world. And I got a I, I got a commission from his daughter, and then after he saw her knife, he ended up wanting one. So. Oh, really? That's awesome. That's really cool. Thanks. Before I move on from uh, these ones, um, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of the ceremonial uh, blades that you've been making and working on? Was that some of the stuff that you mentioned? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm always looking for new markets and some kind of niche somewhere that has yet to be filled or has very few people filling it. Um, and so it, it's a little odd, but there's more people practicing like ceremonial magic than, than you might think around. Um, like there's 
another there's an, there's still an active occultist community like all over the US and all over the world and so some of the like rituals or traditions or like religions that they have require very specifically made um, implements, some of which are knives. Um, and there's really only a couple people in the country who are actually making um, ceremonial knives. So I figured I would just kind of fill that niche and I started doing a lot of research and I, I'm a bit ambivalent as to like the, the magical efficacy of what I'm making, but basically just according to recipes from very, very old books, and they seem happy with them. So, oh, that's that's right. really interesting. It's definitely different. And so, like, when you first messaged me that, I was like, I showed Teresa, and I go, "What do you think this is?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's cool. That's it. That's a very um, a neat space to get into. I think for that sort of um, crafting. Yeah. Are you currently a part-time or full-time bladesmith? Uh, so I am a full-time bladesmith. Um, I've been full-time since last May. Um, and so as of like right now, I've been at it for about two and a half years. So cool. start yet. How did you get into bladesmithing? Um... I've, I've loved knives, edged weapons, any like, you know, fantasy kind of medieval like media and books since I was a small child. I've been collecting knives and using them since I was probably six. Um, and so I, I used to, when I was a kid, I always tried making knife-shaped objects. They weren't, you know, valid knives, but I tried as an 11-year-old or what have you. Uh, and then... Yeah, I guess about three years ago, a friend of mine had an old Colt Forge that was sitting around that he hadn't used in many years, and he gave it to me as a birthday present, and I started kind of just dinking around with it, and then over the course of a year, collected or built or scrounged all the other equipment I needed and just started going at it, and I've been hooked since I started. Cool. Very nice. So, uh... How do you get most of your customers? Hmm. A decent amount of it is word of mouth. Um, I go to a lot of different like festivals, um, vending venues. So like, uh, you know, whether it's a, a music festival or a fair or a holiday gift show or what have you. And I vend. Um, if it's outdoors and the weather is decent, I always try to do... A, uh, like a demonstration. Usually I'll forge some swords or something just very eye-catching that will actually make people stop and then I funnel them in towards my wife who's great at hustling and she sells them knives. Nice. <laughs> so the, uh, that's part of it. Um, I, I'm afraid that I'm a bit of a Luddite so my social media game isn't really you know, super on point. <laughs> I'm learning still. Um yeah, and just like I do Craigslist adver advertisements for uh, classes because I teach. So that's, yeah. Cool. Um, how many projects do you have going on at one time? Oh, Lord. Um, looking at my rack of unfinished knives, there's probably like 20 things hanging on there. Um, <clears throat> however, I... I 
So I either generally do like production knives of one variety or another, or like high-end crazy customs. Um, I try not to make too many like utterly unique things for people unless the price is right, just because it doesn't really work out normally from a just an income perspective. So when I'm doing production knives, I'll usually have for larger things, like say chef's knives or what have you, I'll usually do batches of eight. Um, smaller knives, I sometimes will do batches of up to 20. And I just, you know, so forge all of them, heat treat all of them, grind all of them, etc. So many. A, 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 way too many things going on right yeah. now, and I'm not willing. <laughs> Is there a specific material you like to use when you're making a blade? Hmm. depends on what I like what the per intended purpose of the blade is um, anything that needs to be large or very tough I almost always use 5160 it's readily available it's effective I know exactly how to work it properly uh, thinner things like you know chef's knives paring knives things like that um, I tend to use old uh, like mills like band saw blades or circular saw blades from lumber mills so I have like probably 160 feet of this stuff. Oh, wow. wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I got that in trade. Um, I, I love trading. I also have, I traded a dude two knives for a thousand foot spool of crane cable. So I can just make cable Damascus until the cows come home. And I don't really yeah. Yeah, um, handle-wise, I really prefer using natural materials if I can, um, whether that's wood, horn, bone, um, things like that. I just It just kind of goes with my mindset and aesthetic. How long does it normally take for you to make a blade from design to completion? Hmm. I would say maybe that'd be more of one of your production-style blades. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So production style blades, um, I would say the, like the very low end ones, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the entry level blades, let's go with entry level blades. Um, they're still effective. They probably take me maybe an hour and a half, two hours to do, um, any, like a larger, probably like say overall eight or nine inch um, sheath knife, probably looking closer to like six or seven. Um, and then all the way up to, I think 72 was my most time consuming project thus far. Oh, okay. Wow. So Chris and I have been talking about trying to get into smithing ourselves in some way, shape or form. Uh, do you have any good beginners tips for some guys starting out? Do it. Um, <laughs> you can watch all the YouTube videos and read all the books you want, but fundamentally it's a, it's a very physical art. Um, the only way to really improve is to actually practice. Uh, if you have, you know, I don't know where you're located. If you're in a, are you in a city, a rural area? Suburbs. Suburbs. Okay. Um, I mean, if you can do it without violating noise ordinances too badly, just try your backyard or find a friend who's a little bit outside, you know, outside if that's, uh, if that's not going to work. Um, 
what else? Uh, it's I would suggest buying a first forge. Um, I think propane is a really easy way to go. I, that's what I use. That's what I think a lot of beginners should be using instead of coal. Uh, propane's plentifully available. You can get a decent like one burner entry level forge for you know under three hundred dollars. Um, yeah, and I mean you you can. I mean, on the cheap, you can you can throw things together and like get get something done. But just, I wholeheartedly encourage you to start doing it. I might be biased, but I, it's incredibly fun. Like it's it's worth it. Well, yeah, we've done. Um, we took a blacksmithing class, and then we actually worked with Theo Naz. Um, nice. In uh, New York City, and he helped us start on our first knives. So we've we've forged the points on them. And so that's a, a continuing project right now. Yeah. We're looking looking to see where we can go next to continue working on these knives because we're, we're doing it in small chunks. Um, but I could say that we thoroughly enjoy the process of doing it. And, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe hopefully soon um, we'll have more going on with that. Yeah. I like your yeah, tip. I, it, <laughs> Just need to get into it. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, Theo is an absolute stand-up dude. I met him when I was in New York filming. Um, absolute wonderful teacher. It's awesome that you're able to go and take a le- lessons from him. Okay, so this one is an interesting one. Do we still ask this one? Mm, we haven't. We haven't asked this in a while. Dun dun dun. Who's your favorite Forge and Fire cast member? Amanda. Amanda is the best. If you hear this, hello, Amanda, you rule. Um, although I, do, I guess she's part of the crew, really. No, she that's just fine. Like, we anybody that works on the show is fine. <laughs> yeah, no, she's so, she's just so kick-ass. She's like the um, basically the, the bladesmith wrangler. Like she drives everyone around, snags the food, kind of like babysits, like kicks it with you in the green room because there's usually someone there. Um, but she just just a really real person who cared a lot about what she's doing. Awesome. So. Cool. Shout out Amanda. <laughs> Do you want to yeah, be a sir. contestant on knife or death? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I think it would be incredibly fun. Like, I think that would be an, absolutely amazing experience just from a going through like double dare for knives obstacle course (laughs) um but it's uh it's a little bit too flashy for my tastes i I, I would say that have you ever been to the blade show so I have not been to Blade Show in Atlanta. Um, I am, however, next month heading down to Blade West, which should be absolutely fantastic. There's some just world-class makers there, and I'm excited to meet people and show what I can do. I think it'll be Table 5E. Awesome. Cool, cool. Well, Ethan, thanks again for coming on with us. We really do appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate you not holding a grudge against us for calling you a weirdo hippie. I like I've that. Been told- <laughs> Dude, just stop bringing it up, man. <laughs> so thanks again, and everybody that's watching, please check out Ethan at the Blade Show West um, and see him there. And then um, you are Kemp Forge on Instagram. 
Yes. So just to uh, so it's K E M P F as in fire, and then the word forge. People forget the F. That's how you can find me. Two Fs. Got it. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and keep doing what you're doing. Weirdo hippie out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man.